Reezy does it, baby. Welcome to Totally Biased Media, the podcast where three brothers that know nothing about video games tell you everything they know about video games. I'm Jordan, and most people think the line was, Luke, I am your father. But it was actually, Luke, it's me, your dad. I'm Jason, and I personally edited A New Hope, so Greedo shot first. I'm Jackson, and you know what? I think the Empire was right. I'm Braxton, and I honestly don't think there's a bad Star Wars movie. Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order forged a new path in the Star Wars universe. And now, Cal Kestis and his crew are back to create a new future for the Jedi Order in Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Let's get into it. This is where the fun song goes. Yeah, Fun music time. (laughs) I thought you were about to say this is where the fun begins. (laughs) And then this is the part where we throw in a little joke. Uh, and it doesn't have to have any kind of real meaning to it because it gets cut out of the episode anyways. (laughs) Folks, we are joined by friend of the podcast, Braxton Terry. Braxton, I want you to kick us off by telling us everything you know about Star Wars. (laughs) All right, listen, that would take that would take far too long. <laughs> I don't know if I can validate my credentials that quickly. Lightning round. Yeah, you have you have 30 seconds. We need to know every single thing you know about Star Wars. And if you leave anything out, we're going to make fun of you for it. So, I guess I guess kind of let's hone in a little bit then. Uh tell us your experiences with the Star Wars video games. Like what are some you've especially liked or especially hated? <laughs> uh okay, so especially hated was of course, Battlefront Two from a few years ago. Um, oh, it did not. Nice. It did not hit the mark. Um, <laughs> Battlefront One had some really good stuff going into it, like particularly in sound design realms. Um, the the thermal imploder in particular just <laughs> just hit the sweet spot for <laughs> Star Wars sounds. Um, I mean, but not really a hot take. Uh, the OG Battlefront Two, excellent. Oh. KOTOR, and I can't remember the name of it, and I tried to look it up before we started. There was a Star Wars game my cousin had on, like, Windows XP or Windows 98, um, (laughs) and you could, it was, God, it was so old, but you basically played as, like, a a guy who becomes a Jedi, and then you pick light or dark side as you go based on things you kill or missions you do, but, I mean, it was old, but I remember playing that the first two levels of that way too much but i was like maybe six yeah Yeah. i had almost the exact same experience with i think we determined it was jedi academy because looking back there were a whole bunch of star wars games that were in that same style but that was like the only one that i played and i played it a lot but i'm pretty sure i just played like the first couple of hours of it many times over i think at this point i've tried all the star wars games but oh all of them (laughs) You got some Super Nintendo stuff in there. <laughs> I mean, I've played Super Star Wars. <laughs> but, um, you know, like, I've, I've played X-Wing, TIE Fighter. You know, I've played, like, Dark Forces and then the Jedi Knight games. I, th- I think I've hit just about everything, you know, barring, like, the really weird spin-off weird games. <laughs> the games that are so weird, they need weird to describe them twice. 
<laughs> Did yeah. you play Disney Infinity 3.0, though? Did anyone play Disney Infinity? You're talking to Jackson right now? He's a big <laughs> Disney Infinity fan. Okay, fair. Jackson's a big games, <laughs> toys as games fan. He was uh, he was at just that right age where like Skylanders was the thing. Yeah, that, I that's think fair. Disney Infinity 3.0 was the last one of those I played. Yeah. I think Disney Infinity 3.0 was the last one anyone made, unless you count yeah, that, Smash <laughs> Ultimate. Yeah, yeah. Amiibos Amiibos swept in and killed the toys as games market by being toys that contribute a very small extra thing to a game instead. <laughs> They uh, they eliminated the market by actually looking cool. <laughs> yeah, by, by they eliminated the market by, by creating something that people wanted to spend money on. You know, I think for me, I really haven't played a lot of Star Wars games. Although, admittedly, I'm probably the one in this conversation that's the least interested in Star Wars. <laughs> but like Travis Battlefront Two, like some of my fondest earliest game memories were of battlefront 2 that's the first game i can distinctly remember playing and then like going to school and just like raving with my friends about how incredible that game was like that was that was a touchstone of my childhood i don't even know if i had seen all three of the prequel movies before playing that game but i know i was excited about them because of that game even with as big as a star wars fan as i am uh i've only played three Star Wars games before Jedi Survivor. And it was Battlefront 2, Battlefront 2, and Jedi <laughs> Fallen Order. I'm surprised yeah. Bounty Hunter didn't make that list because that's an excellent like PS2 era RPG. Oh, that game, I always forget that one exists. Yeah, that's where you play as Jango Fett, and it is a sick game. It is so much fun. I remember our dad really liking that one. I mean, I think it deserves a remaster. It is practically <laughs> unplayable now. Like It, it does not handle well. Well, it was a PS2 era platformer. Oh, God, <laughs> so, that was rough. Those were all either incredible or absolute garbage, and there was no in-between. I think the only like PS2 platformer I've gone back to that still, like, I think is good is probably Jack 1. Yeah. Dude, any of the Jack games, though, let's be fair. Jack 1 is special. It's unique. That's fair. Yeah. It's got It's got all the vibes. <laughs> Uh, but we're not here to talk about every other Star Wars game or Jack and Daxter, even though I'd prefer to be. <laughs> we're here to talk about Star Wars Jedi colon Survivor, a title that I have maligned many times leading up to this point. But for a little bit of setup, this is a game, uh, it is the sequel to Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which is the story of Cal Kestis, who was a young boy when Order 66 happened, which wiped out some of the Jedi. The more we find out, the more the more we learn about Star Wars, the more we learn no one actually died in Order 66. But hypothetically, when all the Jedis were wiped out, he survived. Uh, that game takes place about five years after Order 66. He's been out on his own. He forms a team and searches for this item, which can be used to... Basically, it has the locations of all the Jedi that are in hiding and uh, are Force-sensitive kids specifically. Something to that effect. <laughs> and uh, it, it ends with them destroying the device, deciding that that's not the future of the Jedi. And now, five years later, we're back with Cal and his crew, and they are basically just uh, fighting the Empire one day at a time when Cal comes across an opportunity to 
create a new future for the Jedi Order in a safer, more sustainable way. <laughs> and this whole game is sort of Cal's pursuit of that new, safer life for the Jedi. I don't think it's necessarily fair to say, you know, like, his whole team is with him. Uh, because, well, unfortunately... They're not. None of them are at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. It's just Cal and a bunch of strangers. It's interesting how many times in the intro... <laughs> I'm gonna go... I'm getting straight into stuff. Is They mention uh, Force Whitaker's character. Saw Gerrera. Yeah, they mentioned Saw Gerrera so many times in that intro, but then he's not actually in this game. He's not in it one <laughs> no. bit. He's in the first game, um, and you do... Yeah, he's on uh, Kashyyyk. Yeah, you do the, 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 the mission on Kashyyyk that ends up being kind of like a gray area for Cal because it causes, like, super destruction. And so, it, as is Saw Gerrera's character and literally everything he's in, he always takes everything one step too far, and more people end up getting hurt than he helps in general. Yeah. So they were kind of setting up that whole vibe from him. If Saw Gerrera is in it, people are dying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really like the scene where he's introduced. It was one of the, it's one of the, the scenes that stuck with me the most from the first game where you've just broken into an ATAT. I think you've just broken into some piece of, you know, large yeah. empire equipment and you've you know just slaughtered a whole bunch of stormtroopers, and all of a sudden uh, he just like jumps into the windshield of of the machine you're on, and I remember thinking at the time, not knowing who this character was, he hits the windshield, and I'm thinking like, is that Forrest Whitaker? <laughs> <laughs> That's all I had to go on. Uh, oh I guess God. I guess the only other thing I've ever seen that character in, period, is Rogue One, which. I don't even remember. Was Rogue One before or after Fallen Order? No. It was before by like oh. three years. Ah. Wait. In terms of well, no. hold on. Wait. Are you talking about when it's released or timeline release order? Not release not like, order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rogue One is released a couple of years before. Okay. Yeah. Chrono chronologically, it's probably like ten after. It's thirteen yeah. after because yes. uh, I don't. Yeah, I didn't know the exact number. But that actually that's an important piece of context here. So this game takes place about 10 years after Order 66, which is also about 9 to 10 years before Star Wars Episode 4. Which puts it right in line with the Kenobi series that came out this uh, past year. Yes. Stole my fun fact. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, So this is sort of a a time period that's been explored less than some others. in like the main Star Wars un- like canon. Like there's plenty of time periods that have never even been touched, but as far as like on-screen attention, this is a time period that really hasn't been addressed at all until like this year basically. Well, there's all of Rebels too. Oh, that's true. I don't even know I know nothing about Rebels. This is a disappointment. I watched the but... first two seasons and didn't watch it again. Oh, dude, okay, see side tangent. Rebels gets so good at the start of the third season. That is where, like, I think they just let Dave Filoni do whatever he wanted with season three onward. It it gets so good. So basically, you picked the worst time to jump off, Jackson. Really? You really did? I mean, the opening of season three is phenomenal. To make it even worse, I did see the opening of season three, and then I didn't watch any more. In my defense, I think I was, like, 10 or 12. Oh. (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, that's when they start talking about war crimes. So, you know, it gets really cool after that. <laughs> yeah. I think that more movies should, or more shows should openly address the war crimes being committed within <laughs> them. <laughs> yeah. But I guess, I guess let's start, talk a little bit about what kind of game Jedi Survivor is. Because it's one of those things where I feel like people kind of get the wrong idea right out of the gate. Because I've heard a lot of people refer to this as like a hack and slash, or I've heard comparisons to Star Wars Force Unleashed. And other than it is a third-person action game, I don't think there's too much in common there. No, I think the most similar thing I can explain it as is a light mixture of the newer God of War games and Soulsborne games. Light on the Soulsborne. I think it's really similar to this game that came out a few years ago, um, Fallen Order. <laughs> yeah, there are some similarities there. But I, I think that, you know, the, the Souls-like contributions are, are obvious. Because <laughs> this is a game that has the recursive map designs that fold in on themselves. You're trying to get from checkpoint to checkpoint with, you know, limited healing items and with tons of enemies between you and the next one. And they respawn whenever you rest. Like there's a lot of stuff that is definitely right in line with the Soulsborne. If it's if it's almost closer with uh, Sekiro in terms of like how your leveling and skill point system functions, because contrary to your traditional Souls-like games, you accrue a currency that you can then spend on leveling up. Versus in Sekiro and in in the both Jedi games, you earn experience to a level, and then you can only lose progress from from that level checkpoint onward. So you get one skill point, and then if you get, make only make it halfway to the next skill point and you die and you don't make it back, that progress is lost. But you still have the singular skill point from before, which is really similar to how Sekiro designs their leveling system because of the finite abilities rather than stat increases. Yeah, I'm going to be comparing this game to Sekiro a lot in this episode. <laughs> so be prepared for that. Uh, should we just go ahead and get our biases for what game we're going to be comparing it to the most like out of the way now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so sure. mine is going to be Super Mario Odyssey because it oh, has okay. wall jumping. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Basically the same game. Yeah. Mine's going to be Titanfall 2 because it has a grapple. Yeah. See, I'm saying I'm going to side with, with, with Jordan on it. Like it is so very much Sekiro. It's, Star Wars Sekiro, and I'm totally okay with that. Yeah, the little bit of Sekiro I have played, the combat in it does feel like just a much harder version of the combat in Fallen Order and <laughs> yeah. Jedi Survivor. Ba basically, depends on what difficulty you play on, but more or less. What difficulty did everyone play on? I th you know, I think that's a fun thing to get into. Yeah. I started on Jedi Master and got really fed up with, like, the, the big droids like the uh, yeah. Magna Guards in that. So I switched down to Knight. But anytime I had to fight a big monster, uh, I would switch to story mode because I hate <laughs> fighting any of those. And yeah. then I'd switch back. So for reference, story mode is like the very easy. And then there's, I think Jedi Padawan is easy. Jedi Knight is normal. Jedi Master is your hard difficulty. And then the hardest difficulty is called Jedi Grandmaster. I'm I'm right on at least four of those. <laughs> you're you're right on you're right on all of them. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I started on just like the default difficulty, but I did bump it up to the next 
next to hardest one a couple hours in because I, I think it was that I was I kept making comparisons to Sekiro, which Sekiro might be my favorite game of all time. It's definitely a contender, and to compare it to this game is sort of its its best and worst features. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Because yeah. there's a lot of stuff I love about Sekiro that this game also does. There's also a lot of stuff this game does not do that I think is great in Sekiro, and one of them is the fact that Sekiro is hard. Sekiro is brutal, and this game, unless you're playing on the hardest difficulty, it's just not. So, it's nowhere near that difficult. So to get the flex out of the way, I platinum the game on Grandmaster, but I think there's an element to it that it is brutally unfair in parts, Yeah. but it's almost by design. Whether or not I agree with that design choice, I, I don't, but <laughs> they do that. When Sekiro was hard, Sekiro was only hard until you get better at it. Right. I don't think there right. are there are definitely elements of Survivor where you literally could not get good enough to do anything about some of the cheese mechanics, the bounty yeah. hunter stuff in particular. I think it mostly holds true to any of the big animal enemies. No way. No, the, all all of the animals are just cheesable. Like you just lift yeah. them in the air. Like they're just I, I agree easy. the animals are pretty easy to fight or at least they're the easiest to like take advantage of. Agree. Yeah. We're going to have a section at the end of the episode that's like just spoiler stuff. So that's a little bit out of our norm, but we will we'll get into some heavy story content and some of the late game stuff a little bit later, but for now we'll we'll keep it we'll keep it kind of light. I don't think it's really spoilery to say that like they award bounty hunters to fight. Those I did find. I thought those were pretty fun. That was I liked awesome. any of those fights and any duel I thought was very fun. Like any lightsaber boss fight was very fun. Yeah. Even if some of them kind of felt out of place, which that is something I'll get into in the spoiler section. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it has been a while since I've played Fallen Order. I think I played it right when it came out and then again like a year later. And I had some frustrations that I feel like if I went back and played it again today, I wouldn't because I've played more games like Sekiro. Mm. But I think that fighting anyone with a melee weapon and fighting like regular stormtroopers and stuff is pretty pretty similar between the two games but i personally found fighting you know like giant beast and stuff a lot better in this game than i did in the first one i think fallen order felt very different when you were fighting enemies that didn't have very predictable swinging patterns or that had weird delays or weird unblockable things built into that where all of that stuff felt much more manageable in this game. There weren't many fights in this game, even with some of the tougher enemies, where I felt like I didn't know what to do. Whereas I feel like in Fallen Order, maybe it was just of the time, but I feel like there were times where I'd be fighting an enemy and they would start up a move and I wouldn't even know like where to begin. I will say, I do think there's no individual enemies in Fallen Order, at least that... Or sorry, there's no individual enemies in Jedi Survivor, at least that I fought, that felt like there was no possible way to take care of them. Like I thought the boss fights were, you know, difficult in a fun way, or it definitely required like figuring out how all their different mechanics worked and their patterns for attack. I thought it was really annoying sometimes when you would get surrounded by really difficult melee enemies, and then there would also be shooter enemies. Oh, yeah. I had yeah. a really annoying... Uh, I ended up dying, actually, uh, near the end of the game. Basically, there were five melee robots, four of, like, the normal Empire droids, and then 
uh, one of them that was, you know, a bigger guy. And then there were two other guys that had guns that fired fairly regularly and had a lot of health. So you couldn't just, you know, deflect one bullet and take care of them. And getting swarmed like that is really annoying. <laughs> well, and I think that really lends itself into one of your guys' next points is that, like, the tools, the stances, and the force abilities they give you were so much better refined in this game than they were in Fallen Order. And Fallen For Order, sure. they were cool, but they were trying so hard to not be Force Unleashed that yeah. everything felt a little weak. And in this, they they didn't necessarily make, like, Force Push insanely strong or whatever, but, like, sure, they gave you a group Force Push versus Singular Target. You know, that kind of stuff. But they give you more tools. So, like, sort of a third of the way-ish through the game, you fight that first um, DT droid. And, you know, it's a formidable force. Like, he's he's a pain to deal with, and he's super hard to fight. And you kicks your butt several times until you figure out how to beat him. But then a little bit later, you get a force ability that makes him makes them relatively not a problem. And they, they do that a lot. And it's, I mean, that's just good game design. Introduce something that's near impossible to beat or very difficult and then give you the tool to solve it. And I think that that's one of this game and its predecessors' biggest strengths. They are both sort of games I would put into the Metroidvania-esque genre. Definitely more so with the first game than this one. But I think with the first game, it had these very clear patterns of... Here's a gap you can't cross unless you have force pull to bring in a rope and swing across it. Whereas this game, I don't think it's as on the nose like that, but I do think that there are a lot of situations that it creates for you where the first time you encounter it, it feels overwhelming. And then the second time you encounter it, you've gotten new tools, you've gotten new abilities, you've upgraded a few things, then it feels much more manageable. It's not always as simple as just, here's a new tool that opens a new door. Sometimes it is, here is a new power that if you supplement your current moveset with this, you're going to be much more powerful and be able to handle bigger groups of enemies and get to new places. And that's something I really appreciate. Because I love Metroidvanias, but I think sometimes games like Metroid are a little too ham-fisted of just being like, this is the gun that opens the red door. <laughs> And right. this yeah. game doesn't do that as much as it makes it more actual progression. I can definitely agree with that. Question of the day. What are your chosen combat stances? That's exactly where I was going to go next. <laughs> I run cross guard with either dual wield or the pistol, depending on how I'm feeling. That's exactly what I did. <laughs> uh, for basically the first, up until you get the uh, cross guard, I use dual sabers with double bladed i only use single bladed lightsaber in the very beginning of the game i never used it a single time after it's just boring i mean it's still really powerful they did a good job they gave you enough abilities yeah. and mm -hmm. stuff to make every form feel powerful but like yeah single bladed is boring man come on <laughs> yeah yeah for for a little bit of context the first game fallen order had two and a half stances no, it's Basically. just two stances Two stances and a special attack because you had a single bladed lightsaber and then near the end of the game, you unlocked a, a double bladed lightsaber or an upgrade for your single bladed lightsaber that added a second blade. Somehow Cal got the most modular, I almost called it a keyblade, the most modular lightsaber <laughs> in the entire Star Wars well, universe. Well, he's a, he's a scrapper. They, I mean, they go over that a lot. Like his yeah. ability to put stuff together is part of his like personality. Yeah. But sure. a big thing in this game was adding 
whole bunch of stances that you can use however you want. Uh, there are five of them in this game. There's the single-bladed and double-bladed, like everyone knows. There's dual-wielding lightsabers, which I think is probably the stance that most people think is the coolest when they think of uh, how they would use lightsabers. <laughs> and then there are two, I'm going to call them the, the dark horse picks, and they're both very good. There is a blaster and a lightsaber. It's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's got yeah. a gun in his left hand and his lightsaber in his right hand, and it's kind of a mixture of ranged combat and close-up combat, and it's really cool. And then there is the cross guard, which basically turns his lightsaber into a two-handed greatsword, I suppose. Claymore Claymore broadsword. Yeah, yeah. Claymore is probably a better example. Picture Kylo Ren. <laughs> I really like how the blaster stance and crossguard stance function because they don't just function like regular lightsabers with something additional. Like they play like different types of sword play. The blaster stance, the lightsaber functions more like fencing like there's a lot of stabbing and lunging for it and then you know a gun <laughs> and cross guard is a lot of heavy swings with slow wind up you even run by like carrying it behind you like you would with a great sword because it's all about momentum transfer which doesn't make sense with the lightsaber <laughs> because of how it functions it wouldn't be but it is still very cool and fun to yeah. use one of my favorite things they did with each stance is gave you an ability it's just it's a one point buy for each stance that lets you deflect blasters in a different way for the standard like single blade you reflect two blaster shots back to back and they both go back to their target double bladed you hold that button down and you parry every single bolt that comes your way so like the minigun guys they're screwed dual bladed it splits one bolt into two targets that's pretty sick the blaster one gives you more blaster ammo back okay cool but the claymore reflects a more powerful blast back at them and nothing is yeah. more satisfying than <laughs> than doing that that was a big reason i stuck with that one basically from the moment i got it because like the minigun enemies you mentioned since they have shields right on front of their weapons if you deflect that back it automatically takes that out same thing for droidicas. I really like that they brought battle droids back. I've always yes. been a really big yeah. fan of battle mm -hmm. droids. I'm the guy that they're for. I think the battle <laughs> droids are funny little guys. <laughs> I love how dumb they are. I'm glad we got to see them again. There's a whole planet where almost all of the enemies you run into are battle droids, and it's my it's the best. Yeah. And they, they always have like funny environmental dialogue when they're patrolling, they're like arguing with each other. I love the battle droids. I really like how they frequently comment on the fact of like, why are they programmed like this? <laughs> yeah. I, I think that what's so special about the battle droids in this game is that they're not only dumb in terms of like, you will overhear conversations about weird things. They are also very bad in battle, but in a fun way that sets you up to do some pretty cool stuff. There have been multiple times where I've been fighting groups of battle droids and one will just like pull out a grenade and just not throw it and blow up. Battle droids are just dumb and they're just good fodder for you to do crazy force maneuvers and, you know, go in. I guess I was going to say guns blazing, but I guess 80% of the time you don't have a gun. Well, okay. I don't know if this is true for your guys' playthrough. But on the hardest difficulty, because B2 battle droids don't have a stagger meter, they are more difficult than some other, like, supposedly more powerful enemies. They're terrifying to deal with because they just don't care. Yeah. They don't stagger. You can't do anything to them, and <laughs> they just ruin your day. 
those were the ones that I think required the most focus. Like you, like when you were mm-hmm. fighting one of those, you pretty much had to just be on one of those because they were relentless. I didn't really bother fighting them up close. I just waited for them to fire a rocket at me and then deflected it back at them. I mean, I guess that's a method. Yeah. Too late now. I'm done with the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The only reason I thought of it is because uh, it's it's how they tutorialize the oh, yeah, question, yeah. Fallen Order. Uh, so back on the stances, one of the interesting things about the blaster stance is that the blaster has different types of special shots. I never really used any of those other than the charge shot. Did you guys ever mess around with any of those? I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one person that sells them, I think. There's a special person that sells them to avoid spoiler stuff. She sells three different ones. Um, one is a, the charge shot is a lot like your Claymore, or sorry, cross guard stance reflected blast in that it is an a, a small, very small AOE impact, but it just does more damage. There's one that does, uh, it bounces. When you charge a shot up and you shoot, it'll bounce between a couple targets. Mm. Um, and then the third one is your classic like stun mode, you know, the circle that comes out of people's guns. So the concept Heck there yeah. is that does huge stagger damage, but not body damage. I tried all three. I still landed on, I want gun do more damage. So <laughs> yeah. I use the chart, the big shot, um, but, but the other ones are good. They serve their purpose. I didn't really start using the blaster stance until about the last fourth of the game. And by that point, I was just playing the story and never went back to that character to buy new upgrades for the charge shot. Yeah, yeah it's kind of interesting. I completely switched up which uh, stances I was using about halfway through the game because for the beginning, I was using the dual wielding and the double bladed lightsabers because the dual wielding is pretty good for dealing a lot of smaller attacks uh, and dealing damage quickly. And the double-bladed lightsaber was good because it could reflect all the bullets from the minigun guys. Yeah. But then halfway through the game, I decided to switch it up, and I ended up going with the blaster. <laughs> and I guess I, I stuck with dual wielding, and I, I really enjoyed it when I switched because I, I think the blaster stance is really cool, especially once you mm. get it upgraded and it actually does a lot of damage and you have... You know, a decent amount of ammo. Oh, the insta, yeah. the insta parry is like one of my favorite abilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a big reason I used the dual blades for most of the game. Oh, I thought no, he was not talking that. about the blaster. Okay, both of them. Yes, technically have it, but the blaster has the when someone's just about to hit you, if you press uh, square on PlayStation, I guess oh. X, it'll it'll yeah. blast them back. Yeah, I didn't unlock that until right before the final boss fight. <laughs> I do think that's one thing that frustrated me about both this game and and Fallen Order was there are a lot of skills and there's no respec or anything. So yes, there, there is. is. Yeah, there is. Oh. And there, it's free. You, you get one free respec and then every respec after that is oh, one okay. skill point. Oh. And it's just anywhere oh. that you Interesting. Anytime you're in the skills menu. Oh. Yeah. So I completely So my that method, method, I learned I don't know, of halfway through the game, I was doing one of the, the fractured force things. For those of you who don't know, um, there are what they call force tears. They're a, a little kind of meditation point that present a specific challenge, whether it's a platforming or a time-based thing or a specific combat section. And a few of them are for combat with specific stances. Um, and they mm. set up that combat section to benefit that stance in particular. So the cross guard combat one is focused on big slow boys that you need to do big damage to. 
I learned that the double bladed one is really good for a ton of weak enemies mm -hmm. and it is a ton of fun to use. So I was like, huh, I really want to use this, but I have my cross guard and dual wield and blaster stance maxed out and I don't want to wait and grind out all those skill points. So I just reset my skill tree and just didn't upgrade my dual wield and put all my points into the double bladed so I could try out the different forms as I went through the game for whichever combat section I was working on. Yeah, double bladed is an interesting case because it's the only one that's really good for like crowd control. The other ones can do it to an extent, but almost all the other ones are best in single enemy combat. The double-bladed one is so good for fighting like big groups of uh, battle droids specifically because they yeah, go down yeah. so easily. Another one of the forced tears, um, you have to defeat 150 battle droids. I love and that one. Oh my god, that so one fun. was the first one I found. No way. <laughs> and it was uh, difficult without the double-bladed, so I switched to it and won it first try with that. That's so far in for that to be the first one you found. I know, right? <laughs> I only found two the entire oh. game. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, yeah I, I found that one and the cross guard one. Actually, I think that's a good transition to kind of talk about the content of this game. Yeah, that is something I really want to discuss because I have very mixed feelings. I, yeah, I think it doesn't quite uh, thread the needle as well as the first game did. Because this game is a lot bigger than Fallen Order. There is probably three or four times as much explorable area. The maps are way less linear. There are way more unlockables and hidden items. And I'd say for the, lar for the large part, that's a big improvement. But that does kind of get into, I think, one of the game's biggest downfalls in the fact that a lot of the collectibles are just cosmetics and not especially interesting cosmetics. <laughs> Every single collectible is a cosmetic, which I, my my best friend and I played the game kind of side by side together uh, through through party chat. And I think about a quarter of the way through it, he was like, wow, I was really expecting like an upgrade in one of these chests. And I was like, you know, I don't know. I think it's really cool that they're all cosmetics because then I'm not like, I think it's fun to open a chest and go, ooh, what hairstyle do I get next? <laughs> yeah. But like... I'm not worried about missing one because I don't think I've missed an important combat piece. Yeah, or... I actually really agree with That's that. That's a good way to look um, at it. Because I'll be honest, I did not do mo most of the side content in this game because I already knew it's just cosmetics and I like the cosmetics I already have. So I don't feel I didn't feel the need to spend a bunch of time on getting 100% on all the planets. I think I did about half the side content. Because I, I, I got every planet to 68, 75%. I don't know why that's the range. But, uh, <laughs> and then there were a couple planets that I had 100%ed, but those were just like the really linear ones. Mm -hmm. That was another interesting thing. I don't know if we should go ahead and get into how planets are structured yet or not, but I do feel like it is part of the conversation regarding exploration yeah no i mean i think that's totally fair like i think it's i think it's suffice to say planets all fall into one of two categories they're either big explorable open areas with linear sections or they are just linear and there's not a ton of explorable space in a lot of the planets but the ones that are big are big <laughs> so there's six planets you don't have to go that specific <laughs> I think that's fine. It's, yeah, I think it's They fine. advertise six. One of them is like your main planet 
hub world type thing. It's where a majority of the game is spent, and it's where basically all the open world stuff is. The other five are mostly just linear story sections. I'm gonna I'm gonna counter that slightly. I would say two of them. One of them is you're right, Kobo, the main planet, big mm-hmm. open, totally explore. Secondary planet. Call it desert planet for now, in case that is spoiler territory. Yeah, I can't remember if the name is going to be a spoiler for that one or not. I don't think so, but eh, desert planet. Desert planet straddles the line. I think Mm -hmm. if you were to put the second planet, this desert planet, in the first game, you would say, oh my god, it's huge. There's so much more here. But compared to Kobo, it's... I don't know, a quarter of the size, mm-hmm. but there's still so much to do. And going back there, once you have your, you know, your Metroidvania exploration tools, um, there's so much more stuff to find and upgrades and, and cool, cool stuff. Like it, it's like a neat thing to go back to. I don't think they represented Desert Planet well on your first visit. No. But after that, there's way more to do. The second visit to that planet is probably my favorite part of the game. Oh, okay. I really enjoyed the the part where it's all about, you know, controlling the wind. Yeah, that was a very good section. But you're right. The other planets, the other three, are incredibly linear. Yeah, one of them is solely just story-based. Like, yeah, they, they can be cool planets and, yeah. and be incredibly linear. It's They're just very different yeah. from the other two to three planets. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Like, the final planet you go to is just for the story. And I honestly think it's better that way. I much yeah. prefer it like that than it turns out after I beat the final boss that there's like 30 collectibles I can go find <laughs> on this planet. <laughs> yeah. Instead, you uh, beat the final boss and you're like, oh, there's 30 planet, there are 30 collectibles I can go get on these other two planets. <laughs> yeah. Now, I think that, that that's a good segue to sort of talk about the, the level design itself. So, like I said, you know, there are the big open areas that lead into more linear sections. But even the linear sections still have that tried and true Souls-like. You get to a rest point, you know, it takes several minutes to get to the next one, and you're going to find, you know, a few dozen enemies between here and there. And one thing that I think this game did in such a smart way is the maps do loop back on themselves. Like, you will get back to an area closer to a checkpoint you'll open up a hidden doorway or you'll lower a bridge or you'll you know uh, throw down a rope so you can climb back up like every time i would find myself looping back onto one of those points i would think like that's really cool because it never hit me i was going in circles which i think that's such good design where it can keep leading you back to those same points but you don't feel like you're just doing the same thing over and over again like, I think they were very, very smart with how they did sort of the recursive map design this time around. Those checkpoints always seemed just within grasp. Right. Like, I would hit those checkpoints with no stems left. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, I'm I'm in the red. I might die. You know, I run into a, a B1 battle droid and I'm probably dead. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh my god, thank you, I'm back. It's interesting because it, it's either like that or you have full health and full stims. <laughs> right, you know, and you didn't need it that quite yet. So, okay, cool. But, I mean, on that too, the level design itself, I joke about this all the time. Like, those people who make Mario Maker levels mm-hmm. that are 
bananas insane yeah. and like will play themselves for you like stuff like that it's like i don't have the patience or mentality to solve that <laughs> right. or even think think of creating that but like that's how i felt about some of these like platforming challenges that they put into the game this is not light platforming like it's not just jump onto the moving sidewalk and then jump up to the next moving sidewalk it's like tie in your newest force ability with an with a wall run followed by a double jump to a grapple to a, a rope slide and then all of a sudden you're f- free falling and you have to force pull a rope so that you don't die and it's like all of that is within three seconds but it never felt too convoluted to figure out yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah the platforming in this game there's a lot of it a lot more even than fallen order had yeah but it is significantly better yeah especially about the midway point when you're starting to get most of your new abilities like i think in the beginning it's a little too uncharted just climb a wall and jump to the the hanging points it yeah. puts in front of you but by the time you have stuff like your air dash this game goes insane in the coolest way. The My favorite moments in this game by far were the big platforming sections where you're doing crazy combinations of wall runs and air dashes and swinging from things. Like it, it, It's so cool to see the Star Wars universe and specifically like force abilities used in that way. Like I was really into that. You want to know what the, the best part of the parkour mechanics is? Grappling hook? It's the climbing speed. Oh, <laughs> oh, it's not oh, slow. No. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't oh, thank God. Yeah, if no, you no, guys no. don't, you remember... guys are forgetting the best part of the parkour in this game is that you don't have to hold a button all the time. <laughs> okay, okay, That's hold on. You didn't good. have to hold yeah. the button. You just had to press it to grab, which is yeah. still unbelievably. And you also stupid. had to do it every Sorry, time wait. you jumped from part of a wall to another part of a wall. You only had to press the button in that game. <laughs> In <laughs> yeah. Did you hold it the whole time? I thought I had to. <laughs> no, you just have to press it, which is still stupid. That you have to press it to grab on, but like, oh my god. I thought it was the hold button. No, bro. And you no, know, if grab. your fingers started getting tired, it was representative of Cal because his hands were tired. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, in Fallen Order, your climb speed is very slow until you get the climbing gloves. <laughs> And then it's fast. And your speed in this might be faster than the climbing glove speed. Yeah. I forgot about the climbing and gloves. It, oh, my gosh. It makes the game so much better. Like, I started this game, and I got to a wall, and I thought, this is going to suck. And no, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's wall climbing. You can't make it great, <laughs> but at least they didn't make it bad. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that they did a good job of even in the parts before you had your cool abilities and it was just a lot of traditional climbing segments, there was still a lot of interesting stuff happening aesthetically that it was like, at least you had something to look at while you were doing it, (laughs) especially in the game's intro where you're in a giant city and there's just so much stuff going on. There's ships flying, there's, you know, stormtrooper patrols circling you. Like there's, there's just a lot of cool stuff happening. Even when you're climbing slowly, you still have like stuff to pay attention to. I will say I've seen a lot of people make comparisons from uh, like the late game platforming to Celeste. Mm. Mm. And I think that that is a bit too far, but it's pretty cool that we got to a point where people would even think about comparing a 3D platformer like this, or at least a AAA one to something like Celeste. I got to say of thinking about it now, like my other favorite games of all time are third-person RPGs, like Last of Us, God of War. Um, those games are good, 
but their platforming is pathetic. But that that's not the point of those games. And I yeah. think a point of this game is how cool and how much fun would it be to platform, you know, with the force? Like how sick would that be? And they yeah. took that to heart and made something that is generally kind of boring and made it like fast paced and you have to think about it and it's fun. Yeah. I think Cal mm-hmm. probably is one of the most fun characters to control. I think that there are some moments where there are some mechanical failures that sort of get in the way of it feeling really great to play as him. But generally speaking, the platforming stuff always holds up. The stuff that I thought was a little buggy was more combat centric and like some, you know, weird stance stuff. You end up somewhere you shouldn't be in the game. Doesn't know how to react, (laughs) but largely like I think just running around, jumping, air dashing, all that stuff feels really good. Let's talk about what isn't good. Triple A (laughs) games. I feel like I need to canvas this in some way. It's been a rough year for PC ports. Let's be honest. Yeah. Year and a half. Yeah. This game launched in a rough state. Now, I'll say the turnaround on it was a heck of a lot better than I was expecting. But the first time I turned this game on, there was screen tearing any time I was running. And any time that there was more than like two or three enemies on screen, I got major frame drops. There was one area on like the second planet. It was an optional area, so it didn't matter too much. But there was like an area I was just strolling through. There was a lot of enemies that kind of showed up all at once. I was probably not even getting 10 frames per second. Like it was abysmal, like unplayable. Even if it, even if I kept going, I probably would have gotten a headache from just, just trying to keep up with it. Like it's, there were some yeah. rough spots in this For game. context, we should specify. Uh, we all played on PS5, right? Yes. 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 Yeah. Um, I have a friend who played on PC, and he was literally unable to play it at the start until that um, May 1st patch or whatever that was that came through. Once that came through, I, I fixed a bunch of stuff, and he's been able to play it. There's always two types of AAA titles that come out. There's the ones where even the developers were not having a good time. Forspoken, Red I fall. think, is a great... Redfall, Forspoken, where like the game itself is missing a core heart of what would make it fun and what would be good to play. And it's just not there. And then you have the AAA games where, like, the heart of the game is awesome and it's pressure from an executive of some form that is saying, no, the game needs to come out on this day because we promised it. And now they can't keep up with those expectations. Cyberpunk comes to mind because at, at its core, great game, great concept, open world, super fun. It just released so poorly because it released too early. And I think Jedi Survivor probably fell into that same batch because clearly they cared about the game. We're talking about all this incredible stuff that they put across. You know, a great story. I'd give it a a B plus, A minus on the writing. Like, it's pretty good. And, Mm -hmm. like, all this combat stuff is excellent. The parkour is excellent. But they released it too early. Because they were done with it. They didn't have, you know, they needed another two months. That's exactly what I'm mm-hmm. saying. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not their fault. It's, it's a good game that I felt was held back from being great by its performance issues. And if it had been delayed by, you know, two months, maybe even, you know, like a month and a half, it would be a great game. Yeah. And I, you know, I think after it gets some more patches, like it's going to be great. I think right now it's held back by those performance issues uh you know no steady frame rate 
or at least no steady 60 frames per second, which when you do get that 60 frames per second, the combat feels so good. It feels so smooth. Force tears in particular, like every force tear fight feels so good because it's just 60 FPS, nothing held back. Yeah. But sometimes you're doing a fight at 20 FPS (laughs) or, you know, you'll, you'll be doing a fight and it's, you know, I guess technically at 60 FPS, but it's, stuttering you know it's constantly yeah. dropping mm-hmm. you're getting a really bad experience out of it yeah uh and i don't yeah. think that i've really had any bugs that you know I, I didn't run into anything that made it unplayable but the presentation especially in cutscenes, was yeah. really ruined by mm-hmm. bad stuttering bad screen tearing low frame rates uh then there were some funnier bugs i remember after i finished one of the boss fights the enemy was, you know, like flipping all over the place in the background, <laughs> even though he's supposed to be dead. I had a bug where um, the floor in the back of the mantis just didn't exist. <laughs> and nice. every single surface in there was just low polygons. And it was very funny. Yeah. And it's stuff like that or cutscenes where you're for some reason, the cutscene will only run at like 10 frames per second. Oh, and dude, it just it ruins the presentation of what would otherwise be really good scenes. And it, it takes you out of it and kind of, I feel like it took the emotional edge off of some of the scenes that definitely felt like they were supposed to be really heavy hitters. Particularly particularly early. And I don't know if it's like the, the timeline of which I played, like the, the literal real life timeline in which I played where mm-hmm. like patches came through later on. Yeah. But like my opening scenes were stuttering so bad that it, I was like, I was distracted and like I couldn't get into what was actually happening versus my late game cutscenes, which were emotional and supposed to be important. I was like, yeah, no, I'm feeling it. They weren't running at 60, but they were running at a very steady 30 at that point, which yeah. steady 30 is better than choppy 60. For sure. It's, it's so weird though, because we do see this so much now in AAA games and I don't have a solution for it because this is a business decision. Like you were saying, it's not the developers. It's the fact that there are shareholders that need product to go out by a certain date. And you can definitely see that with games like cyberpunk, which shipped way too early or like with Redfall, for example, like I played the game twice and it was one of the games I was most excited for this year. It released like a year too early because that game needed significant work both from a gameplay standpoint and a performance standpoint. But then you compare that to Jedi Survivor, which was already running significantly better after like the second patch that came out. And it's hard to reconcile that both of these games were under similar situations. Because like this game was just so close. And it just needed that little bit more time. Well, we all know. We all know at this point. Respawn is a great developer for sure. They make oh, good, yeah. they mm-hmm. make great stuff. And generally, the problems that people have with respawn content has nothing to do with like the game part, and everything to do with either monetization or executive decision. Yeah. Yeah, like respawn is never the problem when there's an issue with a respawn game. It's mm-hmm. it's EA. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. like Titanfall Two is. Great. If it wasn't for the fact that it's just unplayable now because yeah. of DOSing, DDoSing, uh, I'd still play that regularly. I I loved Titanfall 1. 
and that didn't even have the story mode. And I, I don't like competitive shooters very much. The only two I think I've ever played more than a few hours, unless you count like Battlefront 2 <laughs> back in the day. But, you know, things were so much different oh, in yeah. like 2005 mm-hmm. than they are now. But like Titanfall 1, it's combat, the movement mechanics in that game the titans themselves like everything in it was so cool that it managed to get me to sit down and play a competitive first person shooter i loved it and then titanfall 2 took everything about it and made it better respawn just knows how to make great gameplay is there a but to that no but they're but they're owned by ea what else do you want yeah I, I don't the know. The only thing worse I'd probably say is Ubisoft. I think there's going to be a point in like a month from now where you'll be able to play a version of this game that has like minimal bugs and minimal frame it's, issues. Like it's it's imminent. It is notably better. Yeah, it's already right improved now. so yeah. much. I didn't really get to start it until about two days after it released and I was already seeing way less performance issues than either Jason or Jordan were yeah. just because of like the one patch that was put out in that time. Yeah. yeah. What's weird is like you said you didn't run into any issues after that. I was still running into them. I wonder if, if I had started a fresh save, if some of those mm. other issues would have gone away as well. That's a good question. I think I maybe heard of some of that, but I'm not too sure. I do know even with the patches, the farther I got in the game, the more issues I saw like Same. a lot more frame rates, especially during cutscenes, and a lot more screen tearing, especially during elevators. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, elevators. Okay, wait, wait. Back, to, back to like Jedi Survivor centric things. There, are, there's only two things in this game that break my immersion just hardcore, and they are both elevators <laughs> from high up spaces that open up shortcuts. Where when you look at that thing from far away. It doesn't touch the ground. How does that elevator reach that underground cavern? It shouldn't connect. <laughs> it drives me nuts. Now, this is the stuff that I got into podcasting for. <laughs> elevator discourse. I was disappointed at the state that it launched in. I still really oh, enjoyed yeah. the game, even when I was still having those issues. It just kind of soured some moments that would have been great and were just okay because of it. Well... I think that it is officially time that we open up the the spoiler warning and say uh, from here on out, we are going to be discussing very important story details, some late game content, some resolutions to some stuff set up in the first game. We're, we're going to be getting into a lot of stuff that you may not want to hear unless you finish the game. So, And if you don't want to hear that stuff, skip ahead to... 1 41 45 So, let's talk story. I think that that's the big thing that was really hard to address in this game without getting into spoilers because uh first and foremost, the crew's been split up. So you are not, you do not start this game with the crew that you ended Fallen Order with, which I think was one of my biggest disappointments right from the get-go. But it's not like it took a lot of time for you to go back to your crew. No, no. So I'll forgive it there. I think it was more of a just like, how do we introduce Bode situation? Right, right. 
how do you make the viewer like Bode? <laughs> yeah. Which I did, they did think it was kind of funny. They went with giving Cal a completely new crew who just immediately gets killed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good was- times. <laughs> I forgot they were in that game until now. But it's so funny because I feel like most of Cal's dialogue about how close they were comes after they died. Yeah. So when they when they were like still together, I was like, oh well, I think he knows these people, but he's never really like been on a mission with them. And then later he's like, yeah, that was my best friend for the past five years. Yeah, and the whole thing with not really explaining that they're all close really sucks because like it's definitely supposed to be that Cal and Bode are very close at this point brother in arms type thing but like it doesn't really feel like that and that sucks because Bode becomes the main villain I felt like there was a like Spider-Man PS4 situation that was going on where like the first half of the game is a relatively simple story with not too much going on and then the second half is a lot more emotionally charged with a lot of interesting stuff happening and like it got to the point where Bode turns, I won't even necessarily say evil, but not good. The part where Bode turns stupid. He unveils yeah. himself, I guess. Yeah, and I thought, like, this is the part where the game's going to be just exceptional, and I'm going to absolutely love it. And, like, I was a little let down, if I'm going to be honest. Really? Oh, my gosh. I was very let yeah. down by, like, the ending. Wh- yeah, like... What? Did we play the same game? What? <laughs> I really like the stuff it set up. Like, I really like this idea of, like, Cal has to fight the dude who is basically a brother to him. But, like, I just don't think they did enough with it. Well, I guess it depends on, like... Okay, so it is kind of weird that they set up Bode as... Like, this is the first time they've ever worked together. Yeah. Um, And so, like, there's that from one perspective is like oh no that means their friendship isn't as strong as it could be because they could have been working multiple years together but from a gameplay perspective as like presenting a story to the audience we are now at the same relationship time as cal is with bode i like that part of it my only significant complaint about bode's journey in this is i think the ending is rushed and i think that makes a lot of his decisions seem ill-informed when in reality, we just didn't get to see enough of his perspective. Because I think that there are justifications for the way that he behaved, but we don't necessarily see them, so it just kind of comes across as everything he was doing didn't make a lot of sense. I think the pacing is a little weird, too, because Mm -hmm. Bode reveals himself, (laughs) and then the game ends in the third. (laughs) Like, that happens in the third act. I, I wish there had been a little bit more time to breathe and maybe more mm-hmm. of a chase for Bode. I feel like my interaction with the last third of the game is different than I think what you three did. And I think it has more to do with my completionist mentality on planets and exploration. Mm-hmm. Because I did, you do the whole you do the whole first part where like you kind of explore planets, but I know I'm not going to get everything because I don't have the powers yet. So I do some exploration do the story get to the part where you get your air dash and then after the air dash you get the uh the special grapple hook launchy move right so that once i got that move i knew i had all the abilities which the end of that section leads into going back to jetta and resolving that thing and i was like okay 
I'll go do this part because I feel like it's going to open up a new door. When in reality, it let Darth Vader in and you got a super sick fight and reveal and all of that was super awesome. But then I spent five to ten more hours going back to every planet and like 100%ing it. So I had a lot more time to sit with what Bo did and his betrayal before I run into him on the Empire's base. I had put off doing like the side stuff until I was like, oh, I'll do it after I beat the game. If you do it that way and you're just playing the main story, there's only like an hour between the Darth Vader fight and the Bode fight. <laughs> yeah, I think I did both those in the same sitting. Which seems really short to me. And I got all this time where you would take, I was doing a lot of traveling back and forth and uh, you know, video YouTube watching of like, where's this collectible that I missed kind of thing. Yeah. And every time you get on the ship, um, Grease and Marin are like depressed. And they are not having a good time. And there's all this conversation between the three of them about how like, Bode betrayed them. Do they want to talk about it? Not really, but yeah, kind of. And then like, there's all these conversations that are 100% optional. And you just don't have to be a part of them. <laughs> Which I think is kind of interesting. And if you don't do that, does lead you with like this rushed rush to completion ending. Yeah, I think there was definitely an expectation that players were doing more between those scenes. Which I was kind of in the middle. I think it was probably about three hours after the Vader fight before I like finally decided, like, okay, now I'm going to actually see this through and i had a much more positive reception to this than jason and jackson did after you know talking to them before before we started recording like it was mm -hmm. i i really really loved the vader fight and i really liked yes. what was going on after that they had less positive experiences from like <laughs> that point on <laughs> i really wish the vader fight had been as cal see i don't cal would have just gotten his beat no, I and, think that that's part of it. Like, Cal should have well, lost the fight. But I, what I'm saying is, like, I wish that they hadn't kind of dropped you on another character. Because for the fight with Darth Vader, they switch you over to Seer. Which was would have been fine, but I feel like Seer wasn't in the story enough in this game. Like, you definitely... I kind of agree with that. You didn't see her enough before this big fight where, you know, she... Spoiler, she ends up getting killed by Darth Vader. Uh, and But she wasn't, like, super important in the game up to that. I kind yeah. of would have preferred, if you had just been playing as Cal, you lose to Darth Vader still. Like, I know that Cal shouldn't beat Darth Vader at this point, And it doesn't make sense to actually beat Darth Vader because in he's in a bunch of movies. Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've he's seen him. He's got plot armor. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it, it would have been really cool to go all out against someone like Darth Vader. Well, as Cal. my counterpoint, my counterpoint comes back to like an argument I've had with friends about Final Fantasy 15 and Chapter 15 and that whole concept of like you lose all your abilities mm -hmm. so that you have a reference for how strong you are. Right. And some people hate that. I'm like, why did I spend all this time getting powerful? So that you know how powerful you were, dingus. And then you learn and you move from that. So, like, the concept of you playing as Seer is really cool, in my opinion, because she's so much stronger. And I think mm -hmm. 
this might be another difficulty conversation because like when you play as Cal, you don't one shot literally anything. Everything takes multiple hits except for B1 battle droids. Mm-hmm. And and B1 melee battle droids, you still have to break their stance before you can one shot them. So like nothing is one shot in the entire thing. And you hop in as Seer and you're one shot in every single like stormtrooper that shows up and absolutely obliterating everyone. That's a power trip. Yeah. And like yeah. from a lore perspective, the force heal thing, that's pretty sick. Like, you know, okay, cool. And like her fight with Vader makes sense. And because of that power scaling difference, it wouldn't have even been a fight for Cal to fight Vader. Like it just wouldn't have made any sense cuz he's just he's so oppressively strong and Cal is already already struggling with dark side temptations. Like Vader would have just crushed him. Yeah. It it wouldn't have been a fight. So, like, I understand that Seer wasn't in the story as much as I think any of us should, thought she should have been. More Deborah Wilson, please. <laughs> yes, please. Like, She's I really amazing. liked her in Fallen Order. Yeah. And I think maybe I, it also would have been more impactful if I had played Fallen Order more recently. Mm-hmm. That, that's but, I mean, this I is a character I haven't seen in four years. Yeah. <laughs> well, neither neither is Cal, and I think that's kind yeah. of the point. See, that's actually how I kind of see it. I I like the fact that Seer wasn't in the game much up to that point. I think that that puts a lot of emphasis on when she finally is front and center because it leaves a lot of these open ideas of every time that Cal interacted with her before that point, there was this clear hesitation where like he wanted to reach out and say a lot more about what he's been up to and ask her how she's been and like wanted to still learn from her but he didn't because he was distracted with this bigger overarching goal and he never really gets that chance. Like they do have the one conversation the night before it all goes down, but Mm -hmm. I, I liked the fact that she wasn't that important. And then she was the only thing that mattered for a minute there. Like I thought that was, I Mm, thought I liked the way that was handled. I know that it's not, I mean, it's, it's an homage. (laughs) It's a very clear homage to Obi-Wan episode four. Yeah. He shows up for yeah. 15 minutes and he's dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And but he's like one of our most important Star Wars characters to exist. Um I, I mean it that's just a a story writing decision. Yeah. I think yeah, I might have also been a little annoyed because uh in the hangar room, I ran into a bug where the door that you're supposed to close wasn't highlighting. So I spent 30 40 minutes <laughs> between like two different playthroughs, just kind of being stuck there trying to figure it out. And nobody at any point says anything like close the door. They're just like, it's just Marin constantly yelling. You got to stop him. Okay. I ran into that too. And I wasn't sure if that was just me being stupid or not, but there are so many doors is the one complaint I have about a mechanical thing in the game. So many doors and interactable things where it is not clear that you're supposed to uh slam or raise them yeah and oh my god it drives me nuts this was the only place where i like actually got stuck there were definitely parts where i had to you know kind of run around for a few minutes till i figured it out but i mean like this part was really big and dramatic and there were no new enemies spawning or anything yeah it was just and I I had tried using all of my force powers. I might not have tried slam, you know, but I think right. what ended up closing the door was it still didn't highlight, but I just tried slam and it 
happened to start a cutscene. And I was like, oh, okay, I did the right thing, finally. And it's yeah, like, I issue... know God of War Ragnarok got a lot of crap for the NPCs telling you how to solve all the puzzles, but if oh, Marin yeah. at some point had just said, close the door, I probably would have figured it out. <laughs> yeah, my issue with the Darth Vader fight isn't playing a seer. I liked that. I do think she needed more screen time before that, though. Uh, my issue is I just really find it funny that Darth Vader shows up, almost dies, and, and then, then leaves. he just leaves. <laughs> I, see, it's kind of weird. I also thought that was something it's that weird, was It's weird, but also just kind of makes sense. Right, because Darth Vader's probably, Darth Vader kind of just does yeah, that. He's probably been doing that with an incredible level of success before that point. Because this is yeah. an oppressive empire that has basically no opposition. They show up on a planet, wipe out everyone, and they're out. He shows up on this one planet. Oops, turns out there's a, there's a former Jedi here. Got to deal with that. And then he's like, mm, this yeah. is too much trouble. And he's out. Cause yeah. he's, well, well, I, I think they knew, they knew that they were attacking the Jedi base there, I'm pretty sure. Right. Or the right. hidden path base. Yeah. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been there in the first place. Yeah. There's yeah. a great book um, that deals with, like what is Anakin as Vader doing during this timeline um, around... He's basically just going around doing stuff like yeah. what happened on Jeddah, isn't he? Yeah, it's a fantastic book yeah. that does a lot. It's mostly about Darth Vader's psychology and, like, why is he so mad? Cool, whatever. Like, we know that. But it's a lot of really cool stuff of him just showing up, kicking ass, and leaving. And He it, don't even take the names. And he doesn't even... He tells other people to collect the stuff. So, like... <laughs> My interpretation of like post seer fight, he he gets his butt kicked, and he leaves, and then he knows seer's dead, so he tells his troops gather what what holocrons are available or um they aren't holocrons at this point what are they um archives grab what you can of the archives and let's dip and that's you know that's the extent of that conversation like he's not there to do the grunt work he's there to to kill the person in the way and then move on yeah yeah I really want to get into the Darth Vader comic books because. I've seen so much cool art, especially the art they've uh, shown off from his new series, Black, White, and Red. Yes, I can't wait It for looks that. so good. Oh, man. But I've seen, like, stuff in the comics where Darth Vader is, like, you know, he's just going around kicking ass, like... Yeah. And he's so powerful, and I feel like that's something that's never... The movie, at least episodes four and five, I think, do a decent job of kind of establishing how powerful Darth Vader is, but... The comics no. take it to a whole nother level, and I, Nothing, I don't really feel like anything else has hit the level that the comics have, except Rogue One. Oh yeah, Rogue One. How yeah. can you forget Rogue One? Like, oh man. I think I was just thinking of that scene as Episode Four. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> there. Okay, on on that note of like super sick set piece moments, the drill fight was the biggest surprise. Most uncharted thing I've ever seen in a Star Wars game, and absolutely a blast. Yeah, that was definitely the highlight of the game for me. It definitely relied a little too much on spectacle, but it was—it certainly was a spectacle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it was I really so liked it. sick. And the cool part, like that, ran at sixty the whole time for me. I, I don't even. It ran else really done. well for me too. I was surprised yeah. because other things in the valley were not running that well. Yeah, that. Oh man, that was cool. Because. uh basically for this giant drill that's trying to destroy an old Jedi temple on uh, Jeddah, it comes down to Cal and Marin to destroy the giant drill. It's huge, like the size of a 
spaceship. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of weird to say something like that. It, it's like a big ATAT sized, massive. Think well, Incredibles, except pointier. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the way that they do it is that Marin is using her ability to teleport, and she has done something to Cal that basically lets him fly through the uh, the tears that she uses to teleport. And it is wild, like the kind of movement that you're doing, and you're jumping in and out of these portals. It is so cool. Yeah. When I when I mentioned earlier that my favorite moments were always these big over the top parkour moments where you're wall running and dashing and stuff, that's definitely the part that comes to mind first. Yeah, because it's for sure. it's such a cinematic thing, and admittedly, it does take control away from you a bit more than I would have liked. But it was so cool to see all these powers you would you know accrued over basically a game and a half already get thrown into this one massive scene. It was also really cool to see Marin kind of go like hardcore or like you would see her yeah. do some cool combat stuff, but that was the first time in either game that she had really like put it all on the field. It was, it was she, pretty I hope she's so I overpowered. I hope Marin teaches Cal some of her cool abilities for the next game. <laughs> so because, she's using like, concentrated Night Sister magic, which is like yeah. already vague and like Dave Filoni TM vibes and like. She's so overpowered. I can't get over how unbelievably stupid strong she is. She she, she can teleport, man. Like I was so incredibly unfair. surprised that she didn't die. There were so many scenes because there there's a couple of different moments where like she's doing stuff and you see like she is insanely powerful. Probably yeah. more powerful than uh than Cal. She has more tricks than Cal. I'll give her that. Yeah, and like she can do so much. She's a decent in a fight she has the force i was really thinking at some point that she was gonna die and specifically in this fight right before they you know start doing all this crazy flipping in and out of portals like she kisses him and i was like oh she's gonna sacrifice herself to take this thing down and then she doesn't <laughs> just like oh she's just really powerful she just likes cal also kind of surprised uh they didn't do more with her like what do you mean more I guess it would have been cool to play as her, like you played a seer, and oh. kind of like get a real feel for how powerful she is because you see it, but you don't really get to experience. You don't get it. to. You don't get to control it. Yeah. 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 I, Maybe I in the that. next one. <laughs> yeah. That, that would be really cool to have a moment where you play as her in uh, whatever the sequel to this game is because it's inevitable. So, Ravis in particular, as a boss fight, has one of the most unique weapons and combat styles. I have ever seen. I was a pretty big fan of that boss fight. Wild. Uh, so for context, Ravis is the like big. He's the right secondary hand- villain. Yeah, he's yeah. a meat. He's the meat right-handed man of your initial primary villain, and you build up through this whole. You you climb your way through a giant Lucre Hulk ship to go fight him, and he uses. What well, looks like it's going to be a mace or a morning star, but it detaches on this retractable chain, almost like Kratos with his Blades of Chaos, except yeah. it's only one of them, and he kicks it at you, which is sick, and he's got rockets coming out of his shoulders, <laughs> and lays- it, dude, it's such a good fight. In my opinion, it was probably the hardest fight, and it was definitely the coolest. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I think in terms of difficulty, nothing else even came close to Vader for me. 
I had a lot. I I'm like I died several times to Vader, but I had a lot more difficulties with Ravis. Like I I couldn't get his attack pattern down, and maybe that's just I wasn't paying enough attention when I was playing or something. But the fight with Ravis was really cool. And the fact that it is an unclear two phase fight, I think, adds a level of difficulty, particularly initially, mm-hmm. of like how hard is this fight really going to be? Um, the Vader fight, I just was just hyper aggressive and had no issues with but the final bode fight was the hardest one for me i never died more than twice on a boss fight not counting animals um the reason why because you switched to story mode for the boss fights (laughs) if i died twice on jedi knight in a boss fight i would switch to story (laughs) mode beat the boss and then switch back yeah uh for me i think I think part of the problem that I had with the game was I didn't play very aggressive, like, at any point in the game, which served yeah, me well um, for, like, Bode, who has a lot of ranged attacks, and Ravis, who just has a lot of complicated maneuvers. It did not work for Vader. Vader, you have to stay in his face, or he's going to just yes. absolutely obliterate you. Yeah. That was when I finally, like, that was what, what finally changed it for me. When I finally beat him after, like, ten deaths, when I was finally just like, well, what if I don't give him room to breathe? And let me tell you, that dude has trouble breathing anyways. <laughs> I like the Ravis fight more than the Darth Vader fight, because the Ravis fight doesn't have three cutscenes in it. Fair. Because that Darth Vader fight, if you die to Darth Vader, you have to rewatch all those cutscenes again. And it's not until you get to the third you phase that he's like, all I can skip those cutscenes. Yes, you can skip them, but that takes you to a loading screen, and it's really slow. It's still like twenty seconds where you're okay, out of it combat. Is, it is, a, yeah, I'll agree. The Ravis fight, I think, is more interesting because it's not predictable. Yeah, the Vader fight, you know what's going to happen, which makes it cool in its own right. Mm-hmm. It's a display of power, but the Ravis fight is so out of the blue; it doesn't make any sense when you start it, and it is so cool. I also think it's really cool to fight like a non Jedi that is that powerful and like yeah. gives you that much of a run for your money. Cause I think that those are always kind of the coolest things in any star Wars media where it's like someone that doesn't have the force is keeping up with and maybe even doing better than somebody that is a Jedi. <laughs> There's this cool level where it's just like in universe, even if it doesn't really make sense that you can somehow take a hit from a laser sword, like, in-universe, just being like, yeah, this guy's so powerful that he fights Jedi for fun. <laughs> and he likes he likes getting hit by lightsabers. <laughs> yeah, this guy's literally invincible. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Not from decapitation, though. <laughs> I, I think is that, that what happened to him? Because this is the boss fight where the body started flipping out afterwards. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, so with the, at the end of that fight, you, like, do some I don't know, it's cutscene and then basically he he says give me a warrior's death and Cal just overhand swing decapitates him. It's good stuff. No, I think his body was uh about ten feet back from Cal when he did whatever that was. <laughs> and just flailing around wildly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I I think that this game just had excellent boss fights in general. Like it was just yeah. they were Definitely they were the all highlights. very good. Yeah. Definitely Better than the first game, too. Yeah. You're never going to hear me say that The only again. boss fight in the first game that I felt was really good and memorable was the, I think, the the seventh sister? The the final boss. Mm. Uh, Seer's previous. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
I like the one in yeah, the treetops on Kashyyyk as well. The one that comes back in like the beginning fight of the ninth sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The one that you actually that was also pretty off good. in this game. <laughs> Can't get a a cybernetic body. You just decapitation's really the way to go in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Which even then, I'm still waiting for one of those to not stick, and then I, that opens a whole new can <laughs> of worms. Yeah. I, I like how far we've gotten into this, and we haven't mentioned Dagon Gera at all. Oh, it's because Dagon is the most like he's the most average Star Wars villain, and like I think he's still it's, cool. Oh god, and I think his, his boss fight, fight is was really, really fun, cool. but he yeah. is definitely the least interesting. He is he is the of the three major villains this game. He is the one that I have the least to say about. Just because he's very normal. He finally does something that we have never seen in live-action Star Wars media. The only time we've ever seen it is in a comic. But he bleeds a kyber crystal. Which is so sick. It's one of the coolest things the Sith do, as bad as it is. It is so awesome. And it's only ever talked about. And we get to actually watch him do it. Take his lightsaber apart. And bleed this crystal, turn it red, have it literally change tones, which is one of my favorite things. Small design thing that they did so well in this game. Every single lightsaber color has a slightly different tone. Mm-hmm. And in particular, the orange lightsaber has this growl on it in the crossguard hilt that is just awesome. And the way that the tone of Dagangara's saber changes from orange to red is so cool. A plus. Actually, that's an important question that we didn't get into. We talked about our preferred stances. Oh. What color lightsaber <laughs> did y'all use? <laughs> Orange. I tried to use blue or green on Jetta because I felt like visually it was too much orange. Mm-hmm. And I I changed back immediately. I agree. I also used orange for most of the game. I decided to switch to white, not for any story uh, reason or anything like that, but just because... I thought it was neat. <laughs> it was after the Darth Vader fight. <laughs> like, it was very close to the end of the game that I decided to make that switch. Orange just feels like the right color for Cal. Yeah, I could see that. I, I think it's because Why? no one's ever really had an orange lightsaber. Because it's hair. I think there is... <laughs> yeah, it's because he's a ginger. <laughs> yeah. We gotta give the ginger an orange lightsaber. I, I use the green lightsaber for basically the entire game up until after the Vader fight. And that's when I switched to the orange one. Cause that felt thematically important. <laughs> I don't know why Fair. I just decided like Cal's going through some stuff. I'm going to make some changes. I also changed up like his hair and his clothes and stuff at that point in the game, even though I'd used everything the same up to that point. <laughs> so mm-hmm. after that, I like, I ma- I gave him like a shorter haircut and gave him an orange lightsaber and made his clothes more. I gave him like the more armored looking uh, outfit. Yeah. <laughs> like I, uh... the orange definitely makes a lot of sense there because at that point in the game, he's really struggling with the dark side. Yeah, I mean he taps into the dark side when you're on the uh, Empire base and is just like absolutely annihilating everyone. Uh, I used purple for the entire game. Never switched it. Right before the final boss fight, I put on all like the base items like base hair uh base clothes and base lightsaber components everything was what you start with except the lightsaber color was still purple and when i thought about it that kind of made sense because i think yes i don't know if it's canon or not still that the purple lightsaber like representing 
pulling from the light and dark side. But I think at that point, if that is still canon, uh, thematically makes sense. I thought it was the color you choose if you want to be visible in a big fight. <laughs> I thought it was the color you choose if you're already weary about joining the Star Wars franchise and you want something to set yourself apart. So they, I love that. I love that about Star Wars so much. Somebody says something random or wants something visually specific and then a bunch of nerds have to come up with a reason for why that happens, <laughs> yeah. which is just so funny. But yeah, you're right. So like the purple canonically is a gray Jedi. They're pulling from both light and dark. Um, orange is generally for Wayfinder Jedi. They're not a part of like the order specifically. Like they're not part of a council or anything. They're just going out and exploring, finding new planets, helping people out at random, like finding new flora or fauna or whatever. Like they're they're exploring, which. That also makes sense for yeah, now. Yeah, I, I felt I'd makes say more the than most the very appropriate. Yeah. yeah. Although purple for the post dark side tap is thematically appropriate. Mm. Um, I I just like purple. <laughs> it's that's why I used it's it. This podcast's official color. <laughs> that's why. Um, <laughs> speaking of like the the kind of push to the dark side, um, I really really liked the mechanical implication of that because. You know, you have basically this ultimate ability you have access to from the very beginning of the game where you slow down time. And it's sort of a get-out-of-jail-free card. And it lets you get in some damage, but it was mostly for survivability. But there's a point where it's just like a tipping point of the game where Cal's like, I'm sick of this. And that ultimate ability goes from a get-out-of-jail-free card to a send-everyone-else-to-hell-free card. <laughs> like, <laughs> it is so... He becomes so ridiculously powerful when he is using that afterwards, and that is so cool. So. The, the force move in particular, um, the just-tap triangle force move, is one of my favorite moves for crowd control. You, you do a light radial pull and then you throw your lightsaber in a circle around you and it goes around like two or three times and it annihilates stuff it is so much fun is that the double bladed lightsaber's ability well no it changes to very sim very similar to when you go into the dark yeah. side it switches to a single bladed stance mm -hmm. um it forces that change and it changes all of your move set to a unique move set well, semi-unique. Yeah. Uh, some mostly single-bladed stuff, but the fourth abilities are specific to the dark side stuff. But I no didn't force mess with lightning. the force abilities when I was doing that part. I didn't think about it. I was doing so well with just the lightsaber. Because <laughs> that is the one part where you're one-hit killing most enemies. Except for giant robots. I hate those guys. <laughs> DT droids, hate the, man. I hate the security droids. I'm not, the security droids are annoying. It's the, uh, the bigger ones because they... <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm they talking just about. don't get staggered. The D yeah. the DT droids. Yeah, the I think so. Trooper droids. Yeah, those yeah. are brutal. Yeah, I always do. I didn't know what they were called. Droids. They definitely look a lot like the Death Troopers. They're like Gen One or Gen Two Death Troopers before Moff Gideon. They reminded me of the uh, scuba droids from the Clone Wars. Gotta look that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I was I'm about blanking. To say, I don't I'm, know that's if a deep you two cut. You would know that. So you said uh, scuba I mostly droid? know those because I randomly had an action figure of one. Yeah, he said scuba droids. Interesting. I don't know this. I don't even know this, what the they AQ called. series battle droid. I guess. Yeah, the that's what that I have, just like, pulled flat up. Flat heads. Kind of looks like a manta ray uh, on its head. Yeah, yeah, that. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I can see it. Not in the head, but like the arms. No, and the yeah, legs. like the rest of it. 
I, I feel like this game just has so much cool stuff going for it, but so much of it was buried, and it's like it was. I was really having a hard time picturing what this episode was even going to look like if we didn't kind of throw up the spoiler tag and say like we're gonna get into oh, some yeah. stuff because like Bode turning out to be Force Sensitive, like a former Jedi, like that's huge. Like that is a that is mm-hmm. a linchpin for the whole game. But like it happens so late, <laughs> but it fundamentally changed my perception of a lot of the game. So I don't know. I really wish that it happened at, at least like in the second act. Mm. Like, I give I it some actually, time to breathe. I have an idea of a fix for that. Uh, so you know how a big part is like there's the two compasses. Turns out they're both broke, and then you have to go find the third, right? Yeah. I think instead of Dagon dying at getting the third one, he should have died at the second one. And then you find out about Bode, and then you go get the third one, racing him to it. Yeah, I think that would that would be... Yeah. I'm not a writer. Well, I don't know. That, my, that sounds my like fix, a decent enough change. My fix for the whole thing is that it just ended too early. I think Bode should have survived the fight mm-hmm. that you have with him in that temple. Um... And therefore, Tantalor is no longer an option for either of you. Because a dark side person with connections to the Empire knows how to get there and what it is. And Cal's group also knows where it is. So it's not like the Empire could really use it for anything. It's too difficult to get to and they can't hide there anymore. So it's like, okay, Tantalor is not an option anymore. And now Bode is doing something else. Like, I don't know, more story. Like, wherever they're going with this thing next... I think it's going to be interesting because I don't, it's a cliffhanger, but not a cliffhanger. So I don't know, like, I just felt like the game ended and I was like, okay. I definitely think it could have dealt, it could have done with either a longer third act or just, no, I think it needed a longer third act. Because, <laughs> I yeah. mean, I guess you would, what you would consider the end of the second act, I guess Bode revealing himself is the end of the second act. And then, you know, Seer dies, gets killed by Darth right. Vader. And then the third act is an hour. <laughs> and it's just like, why were the first two acts like 10 hours long? And then this one is just an hour. What's going on here? Why were they so rushed? Unimportant. But I really like the fact that you keep wording it as Bode reveals himself. <laughs> 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 That's how we find out he's evil. <laughs> That's why he's wearing the trench coat the whole game, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is really weird because, like, in my head, that is the clear line of, like, that is the final act of the game is from the point where you find out that Bode is Force-sensitive until you fight him on Tantalor. But in reality, that is just so much shorter than the other parts of the game leading up to that point. Yeah. I also don't think Bode should have died at the end. I, I didn't like that he sacrificed himself because... Maybe I just misread his motivations, but I thought he wanted to protect his daughter. He can't do that. He's dead. And he was specifically also, given a, an out where it's like, we could both not kill you and you could just keep doing what you're doing. All you got to do is not shoot me in the head right now. And he's like, no, I'm going to shoot you in the head, <laughs> which naturally does not work out for him. I, I was just really disappointed by Bode dying. I, you know, maybe I just want to see a good dad in Star Wars that gets Dude, to keep being real. a good dad, okay? <laughs> right. Because he's not a good guy, you know, that gets revealed. But he at least seemed like he cared about his daughter. How much How much cooler would it have been if Bode just wasn't a bad guy? 
And instead, Dagangara is like a friend for a hot minute. And like, and then he reveals himself as the bad guy at the end of Act 2. I thought it was kind of weird that Dagangara reveals himself like as soon as you meet him. Right. Gonna, I'm going to keep using the phrase reveals himself. <laughs> reveals I, I thought it was weird that he immediately became evil or, you know, showed that he was evil instead of, I think it would have been cool if you had found out that Dagangara was evil because you get to, you know, those older Jedi temples on, uh, I mean, I, I guess it could even be as early as like when you're in Kobo. Kobo, Kobo has Where the is it that you temple. first see him like killing some people from the High Republic. Is that on Kobo? That's, that's all technically on Kobo. Yeah. Um, but that's in like one of the, with the uh, what are they called? The Orbital Observatory or something. Yeah. The Low Orbit Observatory. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would have been cool if you had found out he was evil there. Like if Santari Kree had somehow revealed it to you. Yeah. Or even going so far as when, when the robot gets kidnapped. I can't remember what point that oh. is. It's like your third or fourth trip to Kobo. Like if you find out that he is the one that kidnapped her. Like I think that mm. even that would have been a like better Like you point. think Ravis did it, but then you find out it was Dagangara. Right. Like I think that would have. And that they were working together. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would have been a cool change. Yeah. Now don't get me wrong. I did like the first fight with Dagon. Like I think every fight with Dagon is cool. But I do think that first one is yeah. especially cool because it is just a lightsaber fight. There's no like fancy tricks or anything but you still get that fight later that is a lot of fancy tricks where he gets a force <laughs> arm <laughs> dude that's sick i love that almost every time i thought i was going off to get like a side collectible i was just continuing continuing the main path every single time <laughs> like i'd see i'd see a door and i think oh, okay so that's the main path i need to go this way to get the random collectible first no I, I was just on the main path still. This is why you never found any of those four stairs. <laughs> yeah. He kept thinking, now's the point. I'm going to branch off and look for things. And he's like, oh, no, I found the main objective again. <laughs> Eventually, I had to think to myself, okay, so this looks like the way that I'm supposed to go. And this looks like the side objective. So I need to go the way of the side objective to go the main way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speaking of doors, though, what did you guys think of Rick? <laughs> oh my god i cackled i shot him once i i was <laughs> terrified <laughs> speaking of doors oh my god. well okay so like i said i played it on grandmaster so everything's just way too freaking hard you do this fight that waves and waves of enemies in this stupid hangar and it's taking forever and i'm li i have 12 stems or whatever when i start that fight i have zero by the time that fight is over and i have the smallest amount of health and I go up this elevator after you force mind that one guy and this boss bar shows up I'm terrified I'm like no I'm gonna have to go through those waves all over again and I use the the cross guard hill and do the force uppercut and his body just limply flies <laughs> down the hallway and I was like oh thank god they have a sense of humor oh thank god I really like how that was part of like the main path usually in a game that's gonna be a random side thing you find dude yeah that was awesome this is what face McShooty should have been yeah face yeah uh shooty mcshoot face i i handled this one by jumping over him and then force pushing him down the giant hole behind us which oh, i felt especially good brutal. about uh, i um, used the force pull and i like carried him over to it and then dropped him in nice. speaking speaking of like doing really messed up stuff with the force this will probably be like the last 
last side tangent I bring up. There is a dichotomy that I have in this game where you brutally murder a bunch of people, right? All the time. And you do really mm-hmm. messed up stuff all the time. And you're, like, just supposed to be, like, totally cool with that. And then you hit the dark side, and you go back to the Imperial base thing, and you you interact with, like, the Force things, and Cal's like, oh, my God, they were scared of me because I was using the dark side. And I'm like, bruh, I've been chucking Imperial troops off of cliffs for the past 20 <laughs> hours. They've been afraid of you, not just now. Like, yeah. What? What's the word for that? Where, like, the gameplay of a game doesn't really match up with the story. I call it the Uncharted problem. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Nathan Drake kills, like, 300 people minimum just so he can, like, get his hands on some money in the first game. (laughs) Like, (laughs) It's called ludonarrative dissonance. There we go, yeah. It's something that comes up a lot with video games because that's how, like, a lot of games are where they're just, like, you're killing people in the gameplay left and right. But as soon as it comes to like a narrative decision where someone has to die, suddenly murder is terrible and you should never do it. And it's like, why does the line get drawn with these important characters? The only game I've seen actually handle that like at face value is God of War, Ragnarok in 2018. I think, uh, I th- you know, that was the whole point of the game. If you ever played Spec Ops The Line, mm-hmm. where true. everything you do in the game it's terrible and you're told it's terrible and you're like, I have to do it because I'm in the military. <laughs> right. And then the end of the game, you're like, actually shouldn't have done that stuff. I just think that uh, the star Wars universe is one that especially benefits from the change to a video game because the movies can't show just tearing down stormtroopers and droids left and right, because one that doesn't serve a lot of narrative purpose. And two, in a movie, there is, like, an inherent humanity to it that people would have a hard time, you know, grappling with. But in a video game, where you're the one in control and you have these cool powers, they can give you as many off-ramps to just go and do that as possible, and it still works. And I think in a lot of ways, the video games are sort of the perfect medium to show off lightsaber battles and force powers and all that stuff. Because then you get to exper- experiment with them, but you also have infinite people to tear apart with it and i think that that's something that this particular universe really benefits from um which again i haven't read i haven't read any of the comics i haven't read any of the books so like i don't know i know that the star wars universe gets more brutal as it gets further from the movies themselves but it's not something i've seen a lot in star wars where like a jedi can just let loose well i guess we should get to our final thoughts Braxton, summarize your experiences with Star Wars Jedi Survivor. It was exactly what I wanted out of this game. It fulfilled my desire for a good story, great combat, and absolutely phenomenal platforming. It was held back by its hardware issues, um, but I think the, the gold underneath shines through the more you play it. Jackson. What you got? I liked it. <laughs> when I finished the game, I definitely felt like I'd finished the game. It did leave me wanting more, specifically in the story department. I think gameplay-wise, very good. Uh, peak lightsaber combat. <laughs> but I, I was just left wanting more when it came to the story. Also, performance issues. Jason, how you feeling? 
I think that I I can definitely agree with both of them. Where like it is a it's a really good game. It's what I wanted out of the game. The combat is incredible. <laughs> and a lot of the platforming is really good. A huge improvement from the last game. I was a little disappointed with some aspects of the story, but it's not like any of those aspects were bad enough that it really ruined things for me. There were a lot of technical issues that I wish had kind of been ironed out before the game came out. But next time I play this game probably won't be for a few years, and by then, it'll be fixed. So, (laughs) (laughs) at the end of the day, those technical issues aren't really going to color my permanent, you know, thoughts around this game. I enjoyed it. I would recommend this game to any Star Wars fan that doesn't mind the game getting a little bit difficult sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It's not hugely difficult, but it has its moments, especially with the boss fights. You could just take the Jackson method and switch to story mode whenever anything gets too hard. <laughs> so. If I could have done that in Elder Ring, I would have. And I would have liked it a lot more. <laughs> I, I think that kind of just about sums up my thoughts. I, I enjoyed it. Jordan, how about you? I think for me, this was an example of what would have been a really exceptional game that's taken down a peg by the fact that it was just released a little bit too early. And I think that that mainly comes across in the performance issues, but I also think this game probably needed at least a couple more hours of story content to flesh out some things that kind of get rushed. And if it wasn't for those two things, I would say this is like the peak Star Wars experience. But there's just a couple little fumbles that hold it from being, like, really excellent. And, like, it's still great. And I think that almost every Star Wars fan is going to love this. But it's it's not quite at that, like, peak gaming experience <laughs> level. It's no Knights of the Old Republic 2. It's still... It's still got a better story than Book of Boba Fett. That's not saying much, though. <laughs> and I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and Book of Boba Fett just hurts i mean i would put this over just about everything i've seen in the star wars tv shows get out of here mandalorian is phenomenal i still haven't seen the new season of mandalorian but i did like the other two seasons mandalorian season 2.5 are the best episodes of book of boba fett but (laughs) that's besides the point but yeah i i think that this is this really fires on all cylinders and when it hits its stride there in the middle and i really want more of that energy just in all Star Wars stuff. This might oh, this game definitely. might have one of the best second acts in any Star Wars media period. <laughs> yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's already a lot of Star Wars Jedi Survivor talk. So I think that means it's time to pull the plug. Braxton, what else have you been up to? Um, I am currently still crying from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, uh, and yeah. I am playing through my Give Me God of War difficulty of New Game Plus on God of War Ragnarok. Nice. Nice. How does that hold up in the harder difficulties? Not as difficult as the original. God of War 2018 on Give Me God of War was unbelievably difficult, mainly because of like how limited your abilities are early game. And there's just so much given to you in Ragnarok, even at the start, yeah. that it just makes it not as difficult. But I don't think anything is weirdly out of balance. I think it's just hard. Like, you know, it should be just difficult. I think the first game had this real problem of it was actually harder in the beginning because you're fighting a lot of the same enemy types just in slightly smaller volume. 
but you don't have any of the things that make you powerful yet. Like when you're just fighting with your axe and your shield and no runes or anything, I think just regular right. enemies at that point are harder than like some of the big, like tr like the giants and stuff once you are fully kitted out. In particular, in Giving God of War difficulty, uh, the enemies will power up, essentially go into like an enraged state where their eyes glow, and they can't be staggered ah. in that state. So in Ragnarok, you use one of your anythings to make that not happen. <laughs> There's a hundred options you have to make that not happen. But in 2018, you've got one move that stops them from doing that. And you hope to God you get to them in time. <laughs> or else it's just not going to happen. That's one of the games on my short list of, like, I need to get the Platinum Trophy. Because I have it on Ragnarok. No, wait. I'm an idiot. I'm speaking of nothing. I got the Platinum on 2018, right before Ragnarok Good. I was like, <laughs> I have yeah. not beaten it. I, I need to beat it on Give Me God of War. That's, that's the big... Because you don't have to do any of the harder difficulties to get the Platinum. Correct. Yeah. yeah. None, of, none of the trophies are difficulty locked. Yeah. I really enjoyed God of War Ragnarok as stated in the episode where we talked about God of War Ragnarok. <laughs> and when we gave it our game of the year for 2022. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I will say, I think Ragnarok, the first playthrough, is a bit harder than God of War 2018, just because, like, you don't know most of those new tools that you've been given, you know, by heart yet. You're still trying to figure everything out. And the rhythm of the combat in Ragnarok is very different. Agreed, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I had a lot of troubles early on. And then some of the boss fights really, really kicked my butt. <laughs> Jackson, what have you been into? Something we surprisingly have not talking about in a few months now. Destiny 2. Ah. <laughs> Y'all ah. probably saw this coming when I changed my notes from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 to 3 question mark. I didn't know where this was going. Yeah, something I'm kind of surprised we haven't mentioned at all is that the past... Probably about a month or so, we all three have been playing through the dungeons in the game pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. And some of them I've done for the first time this season because when they released, I had no friends that played it. <laughs> so th those two would be the Duality Dungeon and the Spire of the Watcher Dungeon. I, I really like them both. One of them gives you cowboy hats. <laughs> you know what? You keep telling us that one of them gives us cowboy hats, but Jordan and I have yet to see one. The cowboy hat armor is the lowest drop rate. The cowboy hat piece of armor for each class has rumored to have the lowest drop rate of any armor piece in the game. <laughs> we've done Spire of the Watcher like six times now. Jackson has gotten... Oh, I'm sure we've done it more. Jackson has gotten both the cowboy hat and the exotic bow, and Jason and I have gotten neither. <laughs> you, have, you have no sympathies for me. I've cleared that dungeon like 30 plus times at this point. I have a little stuff for it. We've gotten um, pretty good at it, but then we'll randomly just completely screw up the second boss. Whatever the boss on the very top of the spire is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he sucks, dude. Yeah, he sucks. We'll, we'll be, like, having our best run yet. Like, finish the climb in, like, a matter of minutes. And we'll get to the boss. And then, for some reason, we'll just be absolute garbage at it. <laughs> no, sorry. We gotta put Jordan on blast. Because what usually happens is we clear the first encounter... And then we get to that small platforming part, and then we have to wait for Jordan. <laughs> I am so bad at platforming in Destiny. Jordan, what class do you Titan. play? Um, that's not even... Oh, my God. That's like the easy <laughs> jump. I, I have sympathies. As a, a previous Hunter made, now Warlock main, I, 
I have sympathies for Warlock Jump. There are there are parts of Warlock Jump that are hard. I have never heard of someone being bad at Titan Jump. <laughs> it's a jetpack. Yeah. It's it's just not that hard, dude. Warlock Jump, if you screw up at all, you are you're dead. You're screwed. Yes. Um, yes. but if you're not screwing up, it's definitely the easiest. Yes. Uh Hunter Jump is just automatic forgiveness all the time dude yeah you can you get you go the shortest distance but hunter jump will save your ass if you fall but anyways yeah we've been playing through dungeons been having a good time with them even if the drop rates have not been in most of our favors yeah so anyways jason what have you been doing so i have spent the past two weeks since we did our our big ocarina of time episode just completely revitalized my love for like the older Legend of Zelda games. And I decided that before Tears of the Kingdom came out, I wanted to beat Wind Waker because I played so much Wind Waker back on the GameCube when I was a kid. I had tried playing it when it had the Wii U re-release several years ago and didn't get super far. But I've always, you know, really enjoyed playing Wind Waker. I've thought like the art style is really cool. I've enjoyed the gameplay generally. I like the vibes of it but I had never actually beaten it. So past two weeks, sat down, and I, I'm happy to report that while I didn't beat Tears of the Kingdom, Breath of the Wild. I did finish the game today. I, I finished Wind Waker today before Tears... Well, what I'm saying is like I didn't finish it before Tears of the Kingdom came out like I wanted to, but I did finish Wind Waker today. Ah, okay. It's got a pretty good ending. Pretty satisfying with uh, Hyrule getting destroyed. <laughs> It's it's interesting how the good ending of Wind Waker is kind of like the bad ending of every other Zelda game. I really enjoyed it. And I'm probably going to go sit down and play Twilight Princess once I have some time. Uh, Tears of the Kingdom is going to eat up a lot of time for the next few weeks. Twilight Princess is another one that I, I've put, I put so much time into it when I had it on the Wii as a kid, but I never yeah. beat it. So You never, oh man, that's my favorite Legend of Zelda. I didn't start beating games until college. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I was, I was. So that's when I'll finally do it. I was on like a 15 year streak of never finishing a game until I was like 25. And now I don't even start a game if there's not a good chance I'll finish it. But I, that's enough about me. Uh, Jordan, what have you been up to this week? I'll, I'll keep it short and sweet. I've also kind of been on that like Zelda-esque kick like i want games like that or like metroidvania just the whole get new gear and powers and all that stuff and i've played a couple games that have kind of fit into that including some older zeldas and like i replayed ori and the blind forest which is one of my favorites but i kind of was reminded of a game that sort of fits into this genre that i basically forgot about for a couple of years there uh but one of my favorites guacamelee which if you're unfamiliar sounds like absolute gibberish <laughs> uh this is a side-scroller, beat-em-up, Metroidvania, um, but sort of the kicker is that everything in the game is Lucha-themed, so you're like a masked wrestler, and all of these Metroidvania powers you get are related to Lucha moves, like wrestling moves, so the way you get through a new door is you learn uh, a certain type of uppercut, or a pile driver, or... You know, different, just different wrestling moves, and then those are sort of what get you through to the next area. But what I really love about these games are 
they have a very unique style. They're very bright and vibrant and kind of over the top. And they have these really stylish dungeons that sort of emphasize this idea of being able to travel between the land of the living and the land of the dead. And you do that to, you know, certain obstacles might only exist on one of those and you have to switch to them on the fly to be able to overcome puzzles and to fight certain enemies and i think it's not so much that it excels at any one thing as much as the complete package just feels really good like the platforming is very fast the combat's like you know it's hack and slashy but it's also quick and punchy and you can you know you can just crush your way through dozens and dozens of enemies and it's it's always very satisfying I just think that these games really, like, they really hit what I want out of a Metroidvania. They're a little too linear for my taste. Not a lot of in, not a lot of exploration. But I, I played through both games in the last week, and I, I really love both of them. And I think, I think they're a game that not a lot of people have even really heard of. They are, they're from one of my favorite developers. I, I think Drinkbox Games makes incredible stuff. Like, they had Severed, which I think is one of the best mobile games out there. They recently had Nobody Saves the World, which I think was like a really cool little dungeon crawler. Um, like they just, they make consistently great stuff. And I think that Guacamelee is kind of the center of who they are as developers. And I, I just really love them. Uh, there is a sense of humor here that does not hit very often. <laughs> I kind of put it in the same category as Borderlands 2, where like I love the gameplay so much but the writing is just terrible sometimes. Like, You don't like Borderlands 2? I love Borderlands 2. It probably is my most played game of all time. But you don't like the writing? That's the funniest one. I thought it was hysterical when it came out. Playing through it for probably literally the 20 plus time at this point, it is so grating. <laughs> I play it with the sound okay, off point. listening to podcasts most of the time now. <laughs> That's a that's a fair point. I'll give you. Which again, maybe it like with Borderlands, for example, maybe it is partially just that I have played the game so many times. But this game is a lot of meme speak, <laughs> but specifically memes from like several years ago when the game came out. So Ew. it hasn't aged. There the are best. rage faces in yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> it's oh. it's a lot. Um, and that stuff. It is very fun, and it has good co-op yeah for sure which uh i think that's really rare for metroidvanias yeah i guess it's it's kind of like a beat-em-up more so than a hack that's slash. that's fair like it definitely has that streets of rage style to it where there's some button mashing but you still have to be aware of your positioning and your like what you know types of moves you're using and like it'll throw enemies at you that are only weak to a dash punch or only weak to an uppercut or only weak to a ground pound. And so you have to like switch up how you're fighting them based on like what their deep, what their defenses are. I also really like that the two players when you're playing co-op can travel between the, the world of the living and the world of the dead independently. Yeah. That's also pretty cool. Like you stay on the same screen, but you can be doing different stuff. Like one of you will look like a shadow because they're in the land of the dead and they can interact with other stuff that appear as shadows. Whereas the player in the world of the living can't. I think they do some pretty cool stuff with that. I wish there was a secondary color palette. So you could tell what moves you needed to take down shields when you're in the background. What are, what are you colorblind or something? Jeez. If you're, if the main player is in the world of the living and the other player is in the world of the dead, uh, instead of showing you the color of their shields to make it clear, like what, move you need to use they're just cloaked in shadow like yeah. you can't tell 
Uh, it's got it's got the destiny style where like you got to use the red attacks on the red shield and the blue attacks on the blue shield but if right, you're in the land right. of the dead and one player is not everything is just a black shield <laughs> oh i see the problem yeah. okay yeah. they're yeah. they're really fun games though like great combat great platforming speaking of the comparison between star wars and celeste this game does have those like celeste like puzzles where they're these just brutal unforgiving platforming sections but they're also only like 30 seconds long so you have to try it like a hundred times but it's never like it doesn't punish you too much it just makes you go back you know 20 seconds <laughs> i really like that in games like celeste is probably a top 10 game for me because it has like those brutal like unforgiving platforming sections but you can easily just repeat it over and over and over again until you get it and this game kind of has that same thing that's that's never like mandatory for the story, but it's pretty common you'll branch off in a dungeon and go into like a secret room or whatever, and it's just this gauntlet of platforming puzzles between you and like a, a heart container or whatever it calls the Zelda style heart container. So yeah. It's it's a really fun game. You can probably get both of them for like ten bucks at this point. I think they're some of the best co op split screen games out there, so if you're looking for co-op games, this is this is one of them. They're not super long. Each one's like four to five hours with like another two to three hours of side content on top. But, you know, you're getting your money's worth for something that you can often find on sale for less than 10 if you keep your eyes open. Just really good stuff. A lot of fun. Not the best sense of humor, but it's not that big a deal. There's no, there's no voice acting, so you can just skip through a lot of dialogue. Well, this is already going to be a very, very long episode. <laughs> Yeah, sorry we pulled you in for a long episode, Braxton. Yeah. <laughs> nah, it's cool. That's fun. I'm glad you had a good time. We liked having you on. Thank you for, for being our first official guest spot. Yeah. It's been a good one. If I'm ever really opinionated about another future game, I'll let you know. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you want to listen or look at more of Totally Biased Media, you can find us on Twitter at TVMCast, on Instagram at Totally Biased Media, and on Twitch at twitch.tv slash totallybiasedmedia. Uh, we're trying to stream every weekend. We are, well, we're in the midst of the Year of the Kong, although admittedly we've it's been a bit since we've played Donkey Kong. Uh, we're working our way through every Donkey Kong Country game. Uh, we're in the middle of Donkey Kong Country 3, so we're, we're approaching the halfway point, but it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we, we try to stream every weekend, but it varies what time, but check out our channel. We'll get, you'll get the notifications and all that jazz. Uh, you can also send an email with your reviews for upcoming games, namely Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, which will be our next episode. Uh, if you send us in your reviews, we'd be, we'd be happy to read them on the podcast. So, you know, let us know what you're thinking. Uh, how it compares to other Zeldas, how it compares to Breath of the Wild specifically. We, we want to hear all of your thoughts. But for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I've been Jordan Walkup. I've been Jason Simmons. And I've been Jackson Walkup. And I've been Braxton Terry. And you just felt the bias. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>